Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial pursuit, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs all around the globe seeking to do the same thing you are. If you want to know more about this program or this podcast or want to get barraged by a lot of annoying pop-ups, check out our website, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Yeah, buddy. Welcome to the Lifestyle Business Podcast, where we believe building a business is the ideal way to create more freedom and opportunity for you, your family, and those around you. Today, I am joined, as is per the usual, by my captain, my co-host, a man who puts the business into lifestyle business. And if you guys stick around to the end of the episode, we'll share with you a super creepy and automated way to spy on your competition. On to the news and the shouts. Ian, I am hanging out at our house in Bali, and I got to say, it's been quite nice. I've discovered that the pool is both long and deep enough for me to do laps in it, which uh, I've discovered only this year that swimming laps is maybe the best all-around exercise that I've ever found. So I'm really pumped up about that. How are things on your end of the world? Super jealous, man, that you're hanging out in our house and I'm here in San Diego. But, you know, glad to be back. Part of me is glad to be back, you know. It's a high-quality problem, you know, having to retreat to San Diego. Uh, what, uh, you know, so the listeners know, I mean, you, you, you spent a long time in Asia, and now you're back in the good old U.S. of A. What's your sort of first emotional response to being back? The first response, I guess, is, uh, damn, it's expensive here. <laughs> Second response, well, you know, I'm, I'm still at the beach, so, you know, the scenery really hasn't changed that much. But uh, yeah, I'm ready to uh, do some business over here. I got a meeting lined up in uh, Washington, D.C. that I'm headed for uh, next week. So pumped to be back. You know, that's the reason I came back. So uh, really, really looking forward to that. Thanks to Rob Wallen for giving us a, a shout out. I just love following Rob's stuff. He made a joke about the profundity of our dental hygiene advice on last week's episode. But I want to point you to startups for the rest of us. I believe it was our second to last episode, Ian. They, I feel like they're sort of doing things that are similar to us in terms of their podcast, except they've got real skills and chops. <laughs> I mean, they're actually doing really interesting yeah, software right? products and stuff. They're not just like two-bit business guys. I mean, they they got real chops. And they put on this conference called MicroConf. And they had uh, like a lot of fascinating people come, like uh, Andrew Warner came to their conference. And it was just so cool to hear their recap of, you know, these two guys like just putting on their own conference, you know, bootstrapping the thing. It was a really cool episode. So check that out. I want to give a shout to Lorna Lee who for leaving an incredible iTunes review a couple weeks back. I've been listening to the podcast for six months while sitting in my cube at my corporate job, dreaming of freedom and location-independent living. The Lifestyle Business Podcast gave me the will to leave. Well, I know Personally, Lorna Lee from LornaLee.com, who will link C up to, recently quit that job and is traveling to South America and all around the world and has got these incredible plans. So, you know, Lorna's making it happen, as a lot of the people that are listening to this show are. So congrats to you, Lorna, and thanks for the shout on the iTunes page. You know, Ian, you were busting my balls last week about mentioning things about dental hygiene, but uh, Tom from Tom the Dentist wrote us and said, you know what? 
the only floss worthy of my own use is Glide. I love it. It's all we stock in the office, and it's the only thing we've used for the past 15 years. Tom from Tom the Dentist suggests that we try the Sonicare. He says once you use that, there's no going back. So what do you think? We're getting props on on the floss advice, Ian. I can't believe it. You know, like I I, I fought that so hard when you wanted to talk about floss on the on the Lifestyle Business Podcast. I just thought it was ridiculous, and then like you got affirmation because Tom the Dentist like right. Yeah, I was like, oh, geez. I think like two or two or three people brought it up with us in a positive way. So thanks to everybody for uh, making the show worse in Ian's eyes. And, and by the way, Tom, <laughs> I, I have a Sonicare and it's in the closet and I don't use it. So thank you for the recommendation. I've already wasted two hundred dollars on that thing. Oh man, you're so bitter. <laughs> I want to give apologies to both the niche site guys and the Drupal guys. Heard from you in force last week. Uh, no, of course, I, I'm a bit over the top when I say things, Ian. I'm just sort of have that flippant, I don't know, sometimes I think things not very seriously. But obviously, um, you know, guys that have dedicated their time and energy to developing the Drupal platform, it's an open source, it's a noble thing, and I'm not busting down all Drupal guys. I mean, I, I'm just jealous. I wish I could do Drupal myself. I actually made some nice contacts with some, with some uh, really fascinating developers last week through that conversation. I think I met, said that Drupal developers are prima donnas, and of course, I don't mean that. Only the one guy that I'm referencing for that I'm bitter about is a prima donna. And uh, regarding niche sites, you know, I think niche sites are a bit of a whipping boy, but obviously we make our living off of niche sites as well, Ian. So it's not niche sites that I have a problem with. What I have a problem with is, you know, the idea of niche sites is ultimately that you really care about your product and you really care about that market, whatever that niche is. And I don't like the idea of sort of the unserious approach of just, hey, I'll toss a couple things out there and um, that's going to be a business. Like that's what's going to sort of create this lifestyle for me. At some point, you got to turn on the throttle and, and turn it into something that, you know, is a little bit, you know, either you're going to be the guru who's teaching the niche sites or you're going to have some process, automated, repeatable system about deploying niche sites or once you start getting some traction on, say, an AdSense site, you're going to get really serious about delivering higher value products to that market. Right. So anyway, that's uh, obviously I've got no fundamental beef with niche sites. Um, I just you know don't like business being characterized as something that's just a walk in the park for people. So one, uh, two final items I want to get out of the way before the meat and potatoes. One is I found a new favorite podcast. It's called The Partially Examined Life. Oh, Jesus, these guys are so smart. Uh, they are three former philosophy, uh, I guess, PhD students that thought about doing philosophy as a profession, and then they went and got other jobs. And that's exactly what I did. Uh, these guys are like much uh, more advanced than I ever got in my philosophy career, and you can tell that. They've got serious chops. Two episodes that I would refer you guys to if you're interested in philosophy are two of my favorite philosophers, the Heidegger episode on being in time and the Nietzsche episode on beyond or on the genealogy of morals. These are just absolutely engrossing episodes. I mean, to me, they were like watching a movie. I mean, these were like, I was so invested in listening, hanging on every word of what they're saying. So if you're interested in philosophy, the partially examined life, and you don't need to know about philosophy um, to listen to this podcast. They're not sort of scenesters. Uh, they do bring it down so that you can listen to them without having read the original texts. Right. That's part of their rules, right? That's part of their rules. And they've got a really cool set of ground rules that they have for the podcast. Like, you know, no scenester kind of stuff, no insider information kind of thing. It's like they, they make sure that you can just come to the podcast cold 
and listen to these really advanced stuff. I mean, when you listen to some of these episodes, I mean, they're really stretching your brain, and that's kind of the pleasure of listening to them. It's like you're you're kind of like, whoa, you know, these guys are taking me to some new horizons, you know, and I really enjoy that about that podcast. So kudos to those guys for um, putting the effort into creating such a great program. And finally, Ian, we have selected our next two Tropical MBA guys. Congratulations to Amir Christie and to Simon Stock, who will be joining me here at the Tropical MBA compound in Bali. What do you say we get moving on to the meat and potatoes? Today, we are going to finally address the issue of cold calls, uh, six ways to get paid or to get laid. A a lot of uh, cold call, there's a lot of overlap with seduction stuff. And and there is a lot of overlap between, if if you guys aren't familiar with the seduction community, there's this whole new, uh, new new-ish community around. Yeah, new-ish. New-ish dating tips. And a lot of people attach it to this cultural trend where it used to be that like dating would happen in social circles, you know, when you grew up in your hometown and, and sort of, you know, your friends would introduce you to people and stuff. Well, in our generation, there's been a lot more dislocation. So you sort of show up in a new city when you're 25 and you're cold, you don't know anybody. And so how do you meet people? And so this whole dating industry kind of cropped up, like how do, how do you meet girls? How do you meet guys? Like how do you get them to like you and stuff like this? And, and that is the ultimate cold call, isn't it? And so I see a lot of parallels between if you see somebody that's attractive at a bar, how do you get their phone number and how do you get to follow up with them for another meeting? And that's pretty much the same thing to me as making a successful cold call. Taking this whole seduction thing to your sales approach is is really interesting. Actually, that's part of the reason I think both of us got into sales was through seduction. I mean, I think I was actually interested in seduction before I was interested in sales, but a lot of it really translates well. Yeah. And seduction is kind of a racy term. I don't even really like that because you use these techniques in, in all kinds of interactions that you're successful with, you know, just building rapport and attraction with people and, and finding new friends and stuff like that. So I think seduction is too strong of a term because it implies some sort of manipulation. I mean, to me, this is about if you really want to be friends with somebody, like how do you, you know, provide value to them and make sure that you're successful in that, you know? And and so I do think that in some ways, a lot of the, these guys that are doing the dating tips, they have better information than the guy in the sales world. Um, but there, are, there is one exception to that. So the one book that I would recommend, so if you, if you don't get anything out of this episode, I would say to look at these two texts. The first is The Art of Seduction by Robert Greene. This is a fantastic book. I've actually just revisited it this month. Um, it's so entertaining. It's so provocative. It's so sexy. You know, He pulls out examples from history like uh, Napoleon and Bill Clinton and Cleopatra and all these just fascinating personalities and the ways that they, the strategies that they use to to seduce people, to be persuasive, to build attraction, stuff like this. And in the sales world, the book that I would suggest is called The Ultimate Sales Machine by Chet Holmes. Uh, He also uses a lot of similar principles, but enters in a lot of this sort of business process. So it's like, all right, well, you have these basic principles for, um, you know, persuasiveness. Now, how do you scale that? And Chet really addresses that. And that's one of those books that you get so pumped up. It's like when, if you, when you read The Ultimate Sales Machine, you'll put down that book and feel like you could double your business the next month. Yeah, it sounds cheesy, you know, The Ultimate Sales Machine. But like you read it and you're like, whoa, this guy, this guy's got the idea. 
you know, and he really distills it in a way that you feel like you can take action on it. And then there's like sort of a, I would say a secondary text that you could read. Um, it's called The Game. It's by Neil Strauss. And it's a fascinating look into this world of pickup artists. And, and again, there is tons of overlap between the entrepreneurship community and the dating community and stuff like that. So I do think that there's a lot of overlap. So the first step, Ian, the first principle to uh, getting paid is to get referred. When we make a cold call, the first step we always do out of the gate is give that person a reason as to how we've been referred to them. And there, yeah, it's not always the case that you've been referred. So some techniques maybe, Ian, say you want to call a big time influential buyer in your industry, but no one has referred you to them. Some ways that you might generate a referral. There's a couple ways I would do that. So one way would be to make it up. So if you know if they have different offices, you could always say you know somebody from the Orange County office recommended that I call you. Uh, you you never get called on that kind of stuff, and I'm not really recommending lying here. So another way to do it might be to actually get referred. So you could uh, simply just call the receptionist and ask who's in charge of marketing. Uh, when she says it's Mark, then you hang up the phone and you call Mark and you say. Somebody referred me to you. Right, so you can even get referred from the secretary. Uh, Another big, I used to do this all the time, is make cold approaches at trade shows. And I've done this about 500 times, at least 500 cold approaches, maybe 500 to 1,000. So I've kind of got this down pat where um, the whole goal that I was trying to do is get that person's name and sign off at the trade show booth and then I would use their name as a referral to call the buyer but I would get the buyer's name from the person at the trade show. This is pretty difficult too because people at trade show are trying to sell their stuff and so they get a little bit pissed off when they're being sold to and again nobody likes to be sold to ever so you always have to sort of diffuse this kind of idea. That's part of what the referral helps to do is like, hey, this person thought it was a good idea that I talked to you. Like it wasn't just me directly going to you to sell you something. Right. And the whole part of the referral is to is to kind of build social proof here. So you're not just like walking up to somebody cold. There's also ways that you could get referred by an organization or like Twitter, for example, if if you're both Twitter users, like that's that could act as a referral enough, depending on what kind of introduction you're looking for. But I would generally never go in without some kind of referral. The second principle we would use is we would create a false time constraint. And this is something that the dating guys are particularly good at. So Neil Strauss in the game says when when you first approach a group of people to talk to them at a bar, and this happens Two, when you call somebody that's a buyer, the first thing they think about is how long am I going to have to talk to this guy? So your approach as the cold caller is to let them know immediately how long you need. And so when I would cold approach people at trade shows, I would, I would immediately say, just need a few seconds of your time. And it, and it, 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 it sort of sets that, that fundamental anxiety at ease. Or... I just need a quick 30 seconds from you, that kind of thing. And it just, another way to do this that's maybe more effective than giving them an absolute time is to let them know that you have something else to do. When you walk up to somebody at the trade show booth, for example, you'd say, hey, I, I got I'm man, I'm man in my booth right across the aisle. I got to get back there. But I wanted to ask you a quick question. And so th- they're set at ease all of a sudden. They're like, well, this guy's got to get back to his booth. So he's not going to sit here and take all my time. So number one, generate a referral. 
Number two, give them a time constraint. Let them know exactly what kind of impact you intend to have on their life because that is the number one anxiety, especially buyers have, is they're so concerned about their time. Number three, you want to have an indirect approach. Nobody likes to be sold to. And, and that's the bottom line because when you start to sell somebody something, when I say uh, something about myself, you know, I did X, Y, Z, 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 you know, the first thing that the audience thinks is they look for holes in my story. They look for uh, what's the criticism here? What are the ways in which he could potentially be wrong? So when you are direct with people, they are direct in their response in trying to figure out the accuracy of your statement. Whereas when you're indirect and subtle, people have their defenses down, so they'll just accept it. Let me give you an example of how this works. So if I wanted to convince a group of people that I am, uh, let's say, trustworthy, I could do two things. I could lay out an argument for them as to like, here is my credentials, here is my history, and here's my past. And here are all the reasons, here are the top five reasons that I am trustworthy. And the whole time while I'm delivering that speech, the response of the audience is going to be to analyze whether or not this is a good argument. They're going to look for holes in this. They're going to be, for lack of a better term, defensive. They're going to be defending themselves against being too easily hoodwinked by my direct argument. Now imagine another scenario where I talk about somebody that I know who's extraordinarily trustworthy. And I make it a speech about, here are the principles that, you know, X person, Ian, exhibits. And here's why Ian is is the most trustworthy person that I know. And I start to sort of uh, decode the elements of your personality that make you trustworthy. And I make those things into stories and emotions, and, and I feel that with my audience. Now, all of a sudden, everybody is sitting around experiencing trustworthiness because we're looking at this third party and we're experiencing it together. That audience will, with, without a doubt, start to associate the ideas of trustworthiness with me. But this is only one way to do an indirect approach. I mean, there's a lot of ways. And I'll tell you one that works extremely well on buyers, and that's to ask them for their advice. So a lot of buyers for mid-level corporations or small companies, they are technocrats, you know, and everybody's trying to knock down their door to sell them something. But the one thing people love, and you can obviously see this in Ian and myself, is we love to share our knowledge. So I think if you can tap into people, there are some things that you know that I would love to hear about. Can you give me some quick advice? What's the best way to do X? What's the best way to get in contact with Y? What do you think about that kind of stuff, Ian? What are some ways that you embody the indirect approach? Once you ask somebody what they think, it, it, you know, it doesn't matter if you're asking the person uh, at the grocery store or at the trade show. Everybody wants to talk about what they think. Number four, as you're doing this, create opt-ins as you go along. The ways which you create opt-ins is, is the dating guys would call this compli- compliance. What you want to do is to get people to agree to small things, and eventually that will lead to them agreeing to bigger things. If I get you to agree to something so simple, Ian, as saying, you know, do you mind if I ask you a quick question? And you say, yes. You are much more likely then to give me your phone number than if I never got you to sort of explicitly comply with a smaller order task. So there's a bunch of ways you can do this, but think about how you can sprinkle your conversations with basic opt-ins.
And part of the reason for this is uh, because you're going to have some explaining to do if at the end you say no. So if it's yes, 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 and then all of a sudden it's no, you look like Mr. Inconsistent, right? And so people want to be consistent. So that's a lot of the reason why this um, this opt-in works in the end is because, like you said, you've gotten people to say yes all along and people want to be consistent. Right. So the next step then, so this is, create opt-ins kind of happens as you go along. Once you're in, you know, they've agreed to the time constraint. They've agreed to give you some minimal advice. When I was at the trade shows, that was, I wanted to hear about where they were currently getting their products and who the buyers were. Uh, and, you know, these are some pretty big asks. So while I'm doing this, I'm number five, developing attraction. And there's some ways that you do this. Um, the first one is, this is similar to referral, but a bit different, which is developing social proof. So when I was at trade show, what I'd do is, is I would say, oh, yeah, I was just over there talking to the guys at, say, DeWalt. It's a big brand, right? Just talking to the guys at DeWalt. They've got a pretty incredible booth this year. Uh, we've been working with those guys for the last three years. They're doing some really interesting things. And, of course, you know, what I'm doing is pumping up the DeWalt guys. I'm not saying oh yeah, we've done 1,500 units with DeWalt for the last three years because that sets up red lights. There's no red lights when I'm pumping up DeWalt. But then at the end, I make sure that the, the prospect knows that I have a connection with them. And you don't really need to push that. I think people, um, especially males, might be over... <laughs> I don't want to get the sexist tirade here, but I think males have this tendency to want to make everything explicit all the time. And me, I'm the biggest culprit with this. But in some of these soft skills, you have to be okay with just sort of gesturing in a direction, you know? You don't have to tell them that you had did a million dollars of business with them. You don't have to say it. You can just, in fact, that puts their red, red light on, their defenses up. So just gesture that you have a connection with that. Right, and part of part of all of this is uh, is kind of taking, making this in like an egoless situation too, I think. Yes, so just just taking your ego out of it, you know. So if you can restrain yourself from saying that you did $5 million with DeWalt last year, then you are going to be better off because he doesn't care that you did $5 million um, with DeWalt. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, he, he doesn't, you know. So it's it's all about taking your ego out of this situation. And like you said, when you're first approaching someone, you know, asking for their advice, that's a, that's an egoless kind of approach. Right. And, it, it, you know, you can... You can look at your the person that you're interacting with and find the things that are visibly giving them pleasure. You know, do they like to talk about their own knowledge? I know I love to talk about my own knowledge. And so when people ask me the questions that let me feel that good feeling, I associate that good feeling with them. And those are ways that you can sort of start to build attraction, even when you're on that trade show floor, or even when you're on that telephone. It's not this false, rushed kind of thing, but it's like, Oh, wow, he, I could really feel that good energy there. Let me follow up on that. Let me tell me. Uh, you could even, you know, apologize. Like I know this is a little off topic, but I'm really fascinated by what you just said there. It sounds like you're really interested in X. What's the deal with that kind of thing? And then it's like, hey, you know, that's real attraction. They're not being, you know, you're really vibing with the person over. It's a human connection. It's not whether in a dating situation it might be like this person's just trying to sleep with me, or in a in a sales situation, maybe like this person's just trying to sell me something. 
you know, you're so much more effective when you're actually doing business with people that you actually are attracted to. You actually want to be around. And again, that's what this fifth step is about. It's about developing attraction. It's about understanding that you don't always have to keep that sales script going. You just have to develop some good vibes with people. You'll get around to the sales stuff eventually. Let's move on to the sixth point. And this is the final point we'll discuss in the episode today, which is number close and develop a follow-up sequence. So you want to set their expectations for you know, what you want to do next. And you've got to make that ask. You've got to find a way to get to the next level with them. So whether that's on a cold call, um, you, know, you either want to get the number of the influencer you're trying to contact, or you want to say, hey, uh, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Based on what I've learned today on the call, I'm going to go find that information that you said would be helpful. So you're asking these questions, how can I better serve you? Well, I want people to do X for me. Say, hey, I'm going to go do X for you, and I'll give you a ring next Friday. Is that cool? And, you know, treat them like a real human being and all that kind of stuff. But I think definitely want to set the expectations for what your follow-up sequence is going to be. And that question that you asked, is that cool? Like, that's a really important question. So you don't want to be uh, running off doing work that they're not okay with. So it's really important to say, hey, I'm going to go get this information for you. I'm going to go start working on this. Do you think that's okay? Are you are you all right with that? Does that work for you? Right. Um, because it gives them another chance to opt in, and then you kind of have their word on it too. So you you're not going to look like an idiot when you do all this work, and they say, "Look, I didn't say it was okay for you to do that." So right. really important to make that ask. There's one thing that's important, especially at the end, which is not to be needy, and. I think you need to be selective on who you're trying to, whether that's dating or selling or doing business or whatever, is, hey, look, if it feels like a dead end, um, the way to do it isn't to, you know, the right approach, I think, isn't to try to salvage this at the end of the call or the end of the interaction, is to try to see if they could help you out at that point. It's like, all right, well, it's obvious that you don't want to do business with me. It's obvious that this isn't interesting. That doesn't mean that, in, especially in a sales situation, you're not going to continue to be persistent and follow up with them maybe every four weeks or maybe just start to send them good information every four weeks. But at that point, I think you ask them, um, if, you know, do you feel like there are people that you could refer me to that I could do business with? People in your network that could benefit from the kinds of things I'm trying to do here. So you know, I think that you want to some way try to, simultaneously with bad leads, the things that aren't going well, automate follow-up sequences with them because there's all those classic stories of like, well, I t- got in touch with them on the ninth time and the, the ninth time was the time that they, uh, they started to do business with me and that's absolutely true. That will happen and you will learn how to do that in the ultimate uh, sales machine by Chet Holmes. But on the other hand, you, know, you don't want to be needy and, and, and you don't want to force it because that could ruin things. The worst case scenario is if you go through this sequence, these six steps with somebody and you know a relationship doesn't develop, worst case scenario is you'll have yourself a real referral. You'll have yourself a real referral, absolutely. That's exactly it, and that's a, a beautiful thing. And the, and the final thing is that um, you're going to get used to making these approaches. You know, When I used to go to trade shows, and I mean the first 100 people that I walked up to, I was terrified. You know, and I had to do it because it was my job. I was forced into it. And it's another reason why, as an entrepreneur, I think having jobs is so important, Ian, because a lot of the stuff that I learned how to do in having a job, if I maybe was self-employed, I would have never pushed myself to do that. Maybe I never would have pushed myself to make 100 cold approaches because it was just too scary. It wasn't worth it. I would just build my niche sites instead. (laughs) 
<laughs> but because I had a job, man, I had to pay the bills. I had to walk up to these people and buy that 500th person, man. I was just an, the ultimate sales machine. <laughs> I don't know, but I certainly feel like I learned a lot. And by even if you get to the end of these, you know, and it, it's awkward or it didn't go so well, hey, you got one under your belt and it's time to get on the next one. And that's maybe the final lesson here, Ian. And it's similar between dating and sales is, you know, don't get attached to one prospect. One prospect isn't going to change your business. This is an approach. This is an attitude. And this is a process. So keep it going. If you've got tips for us on cold approaches and sales tactics and other resources that we could check out, please do. Speaking of tips, tricks, and advice, let's move on to the quick tips, tricks, and or funny jokes section. We'll make it real quick this week, Ian. Remember those episodes we've done where we listed the sort of 10 business things that we would never suggest that anybody does, these sort of creepy, crawly things that we do to follow up on our competition? Mr. Crandall caught on, and he's got a couple of his own tips, which he shared with us. Yeah, David Crandall really liked this one tip, Ian, which this has actually had some profound impact on our business. So a lot of times what happens in... uh, I, I don't really know. I, could, I would say companies with more than five to 10 employees. It, it doesn't happen maybe as much with solopreneurship, but with companies that start to get quite a few employees going, those employees will often put things on public web servers that shouldn't be there. And in particular, what I've found with uh, one trade show in particular, put up a list of the buyers on their website as an internal share kind of thing, or they were sharing it with, people that were premium members of their site. So it was like $1,000 to be a premium member. But the PDF that had all the contact information wasn't protected on their servers. David Crandall, who's a baller, created a applet for your browser that you can just click on when you're at a URL and it automatically pulls out all the PDF. He pulls out also JPEGs and all this kind of stuff. But it basically gives you a list of the, this isn't illegal, this is the publicly listed Google indexed files that are on their web servers. And you will be so surprised at the kinds of stuff that people will put up on their servers. So thanks to David Crandall for making that easy for the audience. We'll have some quick install instructions at lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. So anyway, trying to put our money where our mouth is with this episode. If you guys want to make a cold call, hope we've inspired you today. Ian, thanks for joining me. I'm going to go do some laps. Booyah. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't be shy. We've got a mailing list, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Go there, get yourself signed up, and we'll keep you up to date on everything.